Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. We're hopping into kind of a, uh, a tough subject on marriage. Marriage is not necessarily the tough side. Divorce, that is the tough side. And commitment. And uh, how many of you figured out relationships are tough? <laughs> yep. They are. Uh, and because relationships are tough, sometimes they do end in divorce. Here's some, I know you're like, this is going to be the, a morbid way to start. But I just got to, there's some fascinating stats buried within these statements on divorce. Okay, you've probably heard that half of all marriages end in divorce. And while that might be a true statistic, it is actually a warped statistic. It's warped because of second and third divorces or second and third marriages. They, 67% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. And so when all of those numbers get thrown into it, it's the one out of every five. But the truth is not one out of every five marriages on the planet end in divorce. There's actually a whole lot more that do better um, than perhaps we've often thought. Uh, a, a few interesting statistics. In the past, they used to say the average uh, length that a marriage would last before a divorce would be kind of seven years. It was always that seven-year mark. It's actually been, it's been stretched out. It's eight years now. Now, I know you're like, well, it's just an extra year. No, what it tells me is actually people are giving marriage a greater effort to stick with it, which I think is a great thing. And here's, a, here's another f- amazing stat. Since the year 2000, the divorce rate has dropped actually from four out of every thousand people ending in divorce, four, four out of every thousand people experiencing one to 2.5, almost in half, which you would be like, hold on, since 2000, it's decreasing? That's right. Now, yes, the marriage rate is also decreasing, but not to the same level. Uh, 6% of divorced couples who remarry each other, meaning they, we got divorced and then we're giving another shot <laughs> with the same person, uh, 75% of those make it the long haul, uh, which is a pretty awesome thing. Uh, couples, here's a fascinating statistic, couples who live together prior to marriage, cohabitate prior to marriage, it is statistically horrible for you. I'm just, uh, this, the stats reveal it. 60% of those will end in divorce. While those who do not cohabitate prior to marriage, 60% of those will be together 20 years after. Fascinating statistic. Um, sociologists believe divorce is actually, uh, they would put it a, a social contagion. What do they mean by that? It simply is this. If you hang around other people who are divorced, you are 75% more likely to get divorced. Who you surround yourself with. We've said it often. The five people that you surround yourself with most, they influence you in huge ways. And here's another kind of mind-blowing statistic. Almost three quarters, 72% of people who are married report not understanding marriage. (laughs) Isn't that a funny statistic? They don't understand the stages of marriage, the realities of marriage. They're basically going, I did not understand what I was signing up for. And if that is the truth, then quite frankly, probably that just tells me that three quarters of couples are going, I think I could do it better because I didn't get it or I haven't fully understood it. What are some of the top causes of divorce? Uh, Working your way up from the bottom kind of to the top, violence, 24%, substance abuse, 35%, uh, financial problems, 37%, conflict or arguing, 58%, infidelity, 60%, but listen to this, number one, the number one is just a lack of commitment. 
Interesting. It's interesting because it's the very thing that Jesus is going to lean into when talking about marriage and divorce in the greatest of all time sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He's going to talk about marriage and divorce, and then immediately he's going to talk about commitment, which is fascinating when, he, when 75% of divorces are going, it's a commitment thing. We just don't have this faithful, committed deal. And so here's the big question is what should our standard, uh, what's our standard that Jesus is calling us to in regards to marriages? Uh, what's God's heart for our marriages? How can we be better at it? And if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm single today, well, guess what? I'm going to actually speak into singleness just a little bit today as well as we look at some other passages that speak into marriage and divorce. But let's dive into Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to do this really fast. I'm going to try to do this really fast because I'm actually going to bring my wife out uh, and we're going to talk, just kind of have honest conversation here um, at the end. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It's been said, this is Jesus talking, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. So first thing, it sounds like this is kind of directed toward men. He's talking if a man, you know, presents a certificate of divorce and it's not talking about women toward men. So what's going on here? Two reasons for that. In that day and age, uh, women really couldn't survive without their husbands. So just at this time, women would never divorce their, their husband. They just wouldn't. They wouldn't go in that direction because women needed, a, a woman needed a husband to be able to even physically live, basically. Uh, second thing is Jesus is actually leaning into headship here. While men and women are complete equals, God does place responsibility over the man for the relationship. And men, we will be judged according to how we lead our spouses. We see this between Adam and Eve, even in the Garden of Eden. When, uh, when Eve yes, takes of the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God holds Adam accountable for her decision. Why? Because God gave him the instructions which he passed to her and didn't lead her toward obedience in it. So God holds Adam responsible because he has little headship over that relationship and God will hold him responsible for it. Second thing that's going on here uh, is, it's kind of the question, what was the... The, the norm in that day and age around marriage and divorce that Jesus is addressing this idea of like giving out certificates of divorce. Well, here's what was happening. People literally in that day and age, Jewish culture, men were divorcing their wives quite regularly and they were just kind of handing out certificates of divorce and people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And there was basically, and the idea came out of an Old Testament law out of Deuteronomy 24.1 that says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her out of the house. Okay, so then in Jesus's day, people are now handing out certificates of divorce and it's all around actually that verse that, that talks about uh, something indecent. And the question becomes, what is something indecent? Like what qualifies as something indecent that could hand out a certificate of divorce? Now in Jesus's day, there were two main uh, rabbinic schools of thoughts, two main rabbis, uh, and people were kind of landing in two main camps at, at that time. And the two guys' names were Hillel and Shammai, are the two main rabbis of the day, who kind of landed in two different camps. 
Hallel basically was of the perspective that if you were displeased with your wife, we'll go ahead and just provide her a certificate of divorce. In fact, trivial offenses like burning a meal would qualify. Watch out, ladies. <laughs> now, Shammai was on the other end of the spectrum where he was pushing a ba- a, a back against that and saying, no, commitment to marriage must be treated with greater conviction. And basically, divorce would could only be allowed for serious transgressions. Those were his words, kind of serious transgressions. But even in serious transgressions, it's kind of the question of like, okay, where's, there's a little gray, like what, what is a serious transgression? So that's what even his kind of group would be talking about. And so then the big question is, where's Jesus going to land? Jesus is now going to address marriage and divorce. Where is he going to land? Is he going to land in kind of the camp with Hillel or Shammai? And what Jesus does is he's actually going to end in this camp with Shammai, but he's going to take all the gray space out of what's a, what's a, a transgression. He's going to like lay down the law kind of and say, Here, let, me, let me give the one qualification for divorce, and it's adultery. And then what he's, gonna, what he's doing is he's raising the bar for Christian relationships and Christ followers in the realm of faithfulness and a commitment to this vow you made to your spouse. In fact, in the next verses, that's what he's going to talk about is is really keeping your oath, keeping your vow. Check it out. Verse 33. Again, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath. Okay, so this is following marriage and talking about divorce, and he's now going to go right into keeping your commitment in an oath. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by the earth for it's his footstool uh, or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king or swear by your head. See, here's what was happening. People were literally going, listen, they, they would make an oath and then they'd say, I swear by Jerusalem. And then someone else would be like, well, I swear by the earth and someone else would be like I swear by heaven and it's kind of like I dare you and then the next guy double dog dare you and the next guy triple dog and they're trying to one up each other and, and, and he's like stop trying to do that and then he ultimately says listen let your yes be yes or your no be no anything else is from the devil <laughs> he's like be committed to your vow and what you say now this is following immediately obviously talking about marriage And the main point is pretty clear. Take your vows seriously. May you be a people of genuine commitment. Now, I don't want to just focus on marriage today, but that's going to be my primary focus. Okay? And I'm going to read another passage that actually speaks into this because let me say this. Every relationship, and we know this, it takes two. Remember that song? It takes two of us. Okay, anyhow. It takes two, and this is why relationships are so hard. Because it takes two. And, and because one might be doing the right thing and the other person might be doing the wrong thing and you're always doing the right thing and the other person's always doing the wrong thing, <laughs> right? At least that's, that's your perspective. But it takes two. And that's why it's so hard. So let me just hit a, a handful of questions that might be rolling through your head, especially if maybe you've had a divorce or you're facing a divorce or, or whatever it might be. Um, you might be thinking, what if I'm divorced? What if I'm regretting it? What if I want restoration? Well, if, if that's the position you're in and your ex is not yet remarried, I would say pray, 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 pray. Start with prayer. Start there. And then I would say second, head into share. Share with them, here's what God's stirring in my heart. And here's what I want to work toward. And then 
I would just say, then get counseling <laughs> before you do anything else. But that's where it would start. But start with prayer. But you might be thinking, what if I'm married? Here's a, here's a handful of questions. What if I'm married to a non-believer? What if we're both Christians, but we're miserable? <laughs> we want to rip off each other's heads. And we both feel like we just need to get away from each other for a while. What if my marriage is miserable, but there's no unfaithfulness? What if my spouse is a non-believer and they want to leave me? Okay, so here's what happened. Jesus raises the bar at the Sermon on the Mount, and then people are still marrying, and they're facing difficulties, and marriages are having struggles. And every question that I just asked that you'd say, those are real, like, cultural questions around marriage for us as Christians. And guess what? All those exact same things were happening following Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Paul actually is going to address all those exact same questions to the church in Corinth who's facing all those exact same issues. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is going to write to them. I'm going to uh, cover a ton of verses, but I'm just going to basically read it through because a lot of the, the verses, Paul answers all those questions that I just asked. Okay, so this is where he starts. Now, for the matters you wrote about, which was the matter of marriage and divorce, that's what they were asking about, he starts with this. It's good for a man not to marry. So notice what Paul does. At the very beginning, what Paul does is he actually elevates singleness. What has happened in our culture is we have this tendency to elevate marriages like that's the pinnacle thing in, as far as relationally. Like everyone must be married. Well, that's actually biblically not true. Paul is saying, hey, if I could actually advise anyone about anything, it would be this, stay single. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. He's like, the best move you can make, stay single. However, but since sexual immorality is, occur uh, is occurring, so he's going, but you want to know what? If you can't stay single, because like Dumb and Dumber would say, you just can't help but put out the vibe. Um, <laughs> if that's your deal then you better get married. Each man should have a sexual relationship with his own wife, each woman with her own husband. Continue on. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So there's this mutual submission to one another. Do not deprive each other, he's talking about sexually, but perhaps uh, by mutual consent for a time. Meaning there are times in your marriage when marriage sucks and it just isn't good. And you're like, I want nothing to do with this person that I'm married to. And he's like, I recognize those moments. And it's okay to abstain from one another for a season of time so that you might devote yourself to prayer. Now this is where culturally culture fails. Marriages struggle all the time, and they go, hey, I can't stand being with one another. I'm moving into the, other, into the guest bedroom. You move on over there. We'll chill out for a little while. But then we fail on doing this, devote each, yourself to prayer. See, in that day and age, their whole mindset was, listen, if, if we need to get away from each other, that's okay for a moment. But our pursuit has to be to pursue the Lord with the intention of Literally, I want to get better as a husband. She wants to get better as a wife. We want to walk in line with God and restore our relationship. This is where the majority of marriages fail in the equation. They go, let's just separate for a period of time. And then they go, well, I better Google it. I better talk to my girlfriends about it. I better talk to my buddies about it. And we're asking everyone other than the one person who matters, which is the Lord, to align our hearts with his around our marriage and our relationship. And this is where things fall apart. 
Then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control, meaning you are separate from one another. You had better be pursuing the Lord so that you can ultimately restore your relationship. If you don't, you're going to be wanting to put out the vibe with someone else. Okay? Continue on. I say this as a concession, not as a command, meaning Paul's going, Listen, I recognize there will be time for you to separate for a season of time. I'm not giving you that as a command, that that's the thing you must do, but I am saying that is something I would allow for you to do if that's what's necessary to restore the relationship when things suck. I wish that all of you were as I. So Paul's going to once again lean back into singleness. He's like, because quite frankly, it rules is what he's saying. I wish you were all like me, but each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another and another has another. His point is he's saying, listen, singleness is a gift from the Lord. And marriage is a gift from the Lord. But they're both gifts. They're a gift from the Lord. And in fact, Paul will later kind of even express the why. Because Jesus gave a command that said, listen, love God and love others. As soon as you say yes or I do to a to your spouse, what you've done is you've said, my commitment goes to God first, but then it goes to my if a husband, to my wife, then to my children, and then to others after that. That is the order. That my commitment is first to my spouse and my kids, and then to others. And what, as a single individual, you can go, I can be fully committed to the Lord, and then to serve others. And I don't have a marriage or a family that's in between that commitment to the Lord and to being able to serve others. So that's what Paul will later kind of lean into. But he says, that's a gift. Okay, Uh, one has this gift, now another has another. Now, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So once again, he's going to say, if you're married or if you're a widow, he'd say, I actually recommend it. (laughs) He goes, that's the easiest way to live. However, But if they cannot control putting out the vibe, okay, they should marry. For it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So I mean, if there's separation, don't uh, end in in divorce, but always pursue reconciliation. As a husband must not divorce his wife. And to the rest I say this, I not, uh, but I or not I, but the Lord, if any brother, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer, what do I do? Okay, and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer, and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Continue on. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. Uh, But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. Okay, just pause on that for a moment. This is one of the most fascinating verses. I read commentaries about it and all this, but this whole idea of what does this mean that an unbelieving husband could be sanctified by his believing wife and vice versa? All I can say is there is a grace that the Lord places over the family unit as a result of the individual who's a follower of Christ. See, what was happening is people were going, as soon as I give my life to Christ, according to scripture, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And so they were going, how can I, as a new creation, be united with someone who's of the old self, of the flesh? And he's saying, listen, if they're willing to stay with you, there is a grace that God actually releases upon them as a result of your walk with the Lord. 
And so allow the grace that the Lord is going to bestow upon your family to flow really through you and over them. All right, continue on. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. That's to the person who, if the unbeliever wants to leave, he's like, you can let him leave. How do you know, wife? This is such a fascinating question. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband, the unbelieving husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? It's like Paul asked this question, going, how do I know if my faith will actually help lead my spouse to the Lord? And then, I love this, he doesn't answer the question. He just goes on and he goes, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. Here's the point. This final statement is so important. He goes, listen, you should live as a believer. What's the believer's standard? It's what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is be committed to the oath that you made in whatever situation the Lord has assigned you to. Meaning your marriage setting might be really difficult, but that's the situation that, you, that the Lord has allowed you to be assigned to. And he's going to allow a grace to flow through you into that relationship. And you need to be committed to it. The whole point is he's saying, man, be committed to that relationship, to that, to that relationship that you are assigned to. Now, two, two really fast follow-up questions. I'm going to bring out my wife. What if my spouse has been unfaithful? Should I divorce? Biblically, you could. But that doesn't mean you should. I've seen way too many restoration stories, even out of unfaithfulness. And if you're willing to work on the relationship, I would always say it is worth it. Just because you could doesn't mean you should. What if I was divorced earlier in life and now I'm remarried? What does this mean for me now? I've always said it this way. Start where you are today. We can't control the wrongs of our past, but we can aim for the right future. Treat your marriage, your relationship with honor, with faithfulness and commitment that Jesus is calling us to. He raises the bar here in this area of relationship and treat it that way. All right, I'm going to invite my wife on out. So everyone, I don't know where she's coming from, but invite my wife. I'll let her know that you're excited to see her, because I am. And um, so, nice, there you go. So Lisa and I, in two days. Oh, yeah? Oh, oh, I like that. Oh, yeah? That's right. In two days, we'll be married 25 years. Way to go, babe. And we talk with couples all the time. I feel like. <laughs> we talk with couples all the time. And, um, and what's, it's interesting. I feel like all of our, the ways that we counsel couples always land kind of in the, almost the exact same camp every single time. It's always these kind of same bullet points. So what we wanted to do is just kind of end today by just being honest about like, hey, here's some things that I would say. We say this to almost every couple or individual that we're meeting with when they're having marital issues. And by the way, a lot of these things apply to just relationships in general. So is it, if you're a kid, this applies pretty much in your relationship with your parents, your, your, your siblings. I mean, a lot of these apply in lots of different relationships, but uh, some of them are obviously uh, marriage specific. But we're just going to give you a handful of, I would call them the top uh, pointers, common pointers that we're giving couples as we, t as we talk with them. So first one would be this. 
the pursue your own relationship with God. Pursue your own relationship with God. Listen, the best gift that you can give your spouse is you walking more in step with God. And the more you pursue God, the more you're actually setting yourself up to have the Holy Spirit convict you. Have you ever had one of these moments? I know I have. Lord, would you please help Lisa to see my position and my point? And as I'm praying, the Lord goes, like knocks me over the head and says, you're wrong. And I'm like, oh man. And, and then I'm the one who has to apologize or I'm the one who actually aligns. But here's the deal. My pursuit of God actually sets me up uh, to be a better husband for her. So it starts with you first. And I've often said this even about like, you know, when people are single and, they're, and they want to find someone, I always say, run after God with all your heart. And whoever ends up running beside you, is probably whoever can keep up up, that's probably and is also running after God with all their heart look look to your right or your left and that's probably someone worth worth it in life so pursue your own relationship with God yeah the number two thing I would say is speak kindly to each other we live in a culture where people are snarky (laughs) and we're sarcastic and we are we use words as weapons Mm -hmm. and so the Bible tells us that in your tongue are life and death and so that's something that just be careful how you talk. It's okay for the world. It's not okay for a believer that we can manipulate each other and we stab. We had a, we'd fight, believe it or not. We have fights. No. And one time. Yeah, we do. Uh, we were. One time? Are you going to tell a story? I am. <laughs> oh, no. I, it's important for them to know no, that you're not. not perfect, and I'm not either. <laughs> that I, that I'm not. So, it's important for them to know that you're so not we perfect. we were fighting, and he said something that was really sharp and hurtful. Yeah. And what happens is you, I got stabbed, and my flesh wants to stab back, right? And then it's this rat race of we're in this stab fight. We're in a knife fight of words. And so instead of... What, you know, like I had something to say that was really mean, and I just stopped and I said, Hey, 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 we don't talk like that to each other. Mm-hmm. And just had to call it out. Like, we're done. And then I had to walk away yep. because I was wounded, and he needed to think about what he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I need, we just needed that space because honestly, that fight in that moment is like a gang fight, and yeah. nobody's going to win. We're both going to die, right. and we're going to say things that we cannot take back, words you cannot take back. So just And we were talking about nice. this, that I think the minute uh, uh, sarcastic, uh, uh, passive-aggressive, mm-hmm. any of those snarky comments, the minute that's made, you've already derailed You're the done. conversation. Yep. The conversation's over. It there needs will, to be over. There will be no progress in that moment. Like, you have to walk away and reset and then come back. And, and when you come back, you have to say, that was, like, own it. That shouldn't have come out of our mouths. Let's restart this thing. But I, I really, I think it is over the minute an a, a unkind comment comes out. You might as well just hit the pause button immediately. Pause, come back, and restart. Uh, third, own your own mistakes and apologize quickly. Own your own mistakes and apologize quickly. You know when you've done something wrong. And here's the deal. I want to even be kind of specific in, my, in our language of around apologies. It's really easy to sleep things off and sometimes feel like we're better. We're better. <laughs> or hand a bouquet of flowers 
and go, we're better. A bouquet of flowers is kind. It's not an apology. Yep. You, you just need to... <laughs> that's right. It, it's really kind. I understand that that might be, this is my way of saying I'm sorry, but it's, it's not... It's showing. It's not saying. It's, it's showing. not the same thing. Or I'll come on over and I'll give her a hug and my hug is my way of apology. No, it's not. I understand that it's your start toward it, but you haven't finished the process. Even in terms of, I, I would say, it's the low bar is go, sorry for. Like, a, sorry for what I said. That's, you're starting. I would say, use this language. I need to apologize for. Whole sentence. I need to apologize for. But then fill it in. And then, na- yeah. yes. Don't just do like for the last 20 years. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like specifically what it is because that heals. Yes. And then it takes away the enemy's foothold that he just got. That's right. And uh, whoever you hurt. Yeah, no, I appreciate you actually saying that. Yes, or even for I'm sorry, I want to apologize for last night. Still, yeah, too general, not specific. Get specific. What are you sorry for? Own it. Yep. Okay, yours. Uh, all right, date your spouse. So this is something... Like, the idea of dating is just carving out time for each other, right? Like, it, we have so many kids, and we weren't always able to date. Sometimes that looks like we had a, a babysitting co-op that we were yep. part of, and one mom would take all the kids, and it was like camp at their house one night per week, and then the next mom would take. And so we got creative. We did free things because we couldn't afford things. But the whole point is that you're taking time to talk, so I know even for us, even now, we, our kids are older and so we can date, but sometimes you get home from work, right? You get done and we're waiting to clean up dinner and he'll grab his phone while he's waiting for me and then I'll go, oh, he's on his phone, I'll grab my book and then I'm lost in my book and then before you know it, it's time for bed and we haven't connected at all. And it just is something where you like carve out time, put it on your calendar where we're gonna just talk, get mm-hmm. the kids in bed and just talk. Yeah, and I mean, it could be, hey, put the kids uh, with a movie in the basement. We're going out on the back porch. We're having, you know, a, a bottle of wine together on the back porch. Something like that. It could be really simple, but be purposeful in that. Um, fifth, um, find a shared hobby or activity. Now, I actually heard uh, a pastor who's older than me talk about this recently, um, specifically empty nesters. So if you find yourself in that category, he talked about when you're younger, your kids do happen to be your, usually your shared activity or your shared hobby, like doing what your kids are doing, chasing them from games and different activities. But he said, one of the biggest things that you need to pay attention to is once you're an empty nester, you need to discover. And a lot of times it'll be a new, a new hobby, a new shared thing. It could be, uh, you know, riding motorcycles. It could be, uh, overlanding. It could be, uh, pickleball. It could be whatever those things are that you're like, this is what we're going to, it could be gardening together, but something that you collectively go, we both enjoy this and it's a shared activity or a shared hobby. Mm-hmm. All right. The sixth one is deal with small rocks often. So I had a professor that would always talk about as you go through life and relationships, something will go wrong. It always does, right? Something will annoy you. It'll frustrate you. And it's like picking up a small rock and you put it in your pocket. And before long, you've got like 30 rocks in your pocket. And if you haul them all out at the same time, for me, I'll speak for me, it can be like an eruption. Yep. When I'm just like, fine, my pocket's bursting. We got to talk about all these things. Or if you just deal with it little bits at a time, like in those moments that you carve out for date night to say, hey, 
I got a rock in my pocket. Can we talk about it? And if you talk about it when it's little, it's easy. And then it's not also like me stoning you with all these rocks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we've talked about this in the past. A lot of times uh, when we talk about rocks in your pocket, deal with them when you're happy with one another. Like ask the question, hey, do you have any rocks in your pocket when you're doing well? Because it's when you're on a date and you actually want to grow in your relationship, it's your position well to go, yeah, this thing's kind of annoying me or it's been tough for me to deal with. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we were positioned well and we dealt with it while it was small before it got big. Uh, Seventh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a handful of these. Help each other sort your emotions. Um, So during all different seasons of life, you face all different things. It could be tough parenting moments. Uh, it could be uh, tough moments at work. It could be financial stresses. It could be personal failures, shortcomings. But here's what can happen. A guy comes home from work and uh, she might say, how are you doing? I'm just frustrated. Okay, so he might actually feel frustrated, but what might be below that is everyone is letting me down at work or I felt like a failure because I blew it in this meeting. And, and a lot of times what happens is when we're knee deep in our own emotions, sometimes we can't even figure out why we feel the way we feel. So you're actually helping them kind of process down below the, the, the surface level expression to go, why are you feeling that way? And helping them discover it, but help them discover their own emotions. We're our, as married couples, you're a good sounding board. Like nobody knows your spouse better than you do to go, I hear you saying you're frustrated, but really, does it go down deeper than that? Like what happened today? Let's talk through that. That I think it's such an important thing, even in a marriage, um, Josh will often ask me, he'll say, hey, how's your heart? Because I'm not a talker. Like he has to really drag out emotions because I just don't, I don't know, I'm like a vault sometimes, sorry. (laughs) But he'll just say, he'll often just say, how's your heart? And I know that's like my opportunity to be real with him and share whatever I'm struggling with or maybe I'm happy. Sometimes I'll be like, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And it really is. I just, um, just part of it. But I think too, this is important. Um, I think sometimes as women, when women are emotional, sometimes men are like, back off, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they withdraw because they're like, this is scary and I don't know what's going to happen. Like I'm going to get out of the line of fire. And sometimes it's just important just to ask, like, I see you're upset rather than assuming I did something wrong. I think that's, you poor men, what did I do? You know, but just to say, I see you're upset and just to help draw that out. Yeah, here's another thing that, that we've, we've done over the years and it helps us process our emotions. It's the simply, this is me, this is not me, this is me. And this is what we mean by that. Um, let's say someone wounds, you know, let's say Lisa's wounded by somebody. And so the this is me, this is not me, this is me basically goes, okay, this is me. I didn't do anything purposefully to hurt that person. This is not me. This is all of their wounding uh, and their frustrations. But those are not my feelings and those are not my emotions and they're not my woundings. I don't have to carry uh, it. So I don't have to carry it. So it pushes off of you what is not yours. And then you go, and then you remind yourself, this is me. Meaning this is the thing that I, of, of who I actually am. So it could be like, uh, I, this is me. I did my best in the relationship. This is not me. I did not wound them on purpose. They're carrying that unforgiveness on their own. This is me. I choose not to feel guilty any longer because I've, I asked for their forgiveness. So I'm no longer carrying any guilt. Although every time I see them, they're still giving me the stink eye. 
Does that make sense? So what you're doing is you're actually helping own your own emotions and saying, I'm not going to carry things that, that aren't mine to carry any longer because I dealt with them either with the Lord or with that person. I think, like, I'm just going to, this is in our, in our notes, but sometimes even one husband or wife will come home and they are a volcano, right? Like, Things must have been tough at work, and they come in, and they have all this frustration. It's easy for the spouse to pick up that frustration, and now we're both big and frustrated and angry, where it's better for one to go, hmm, that's not me. (laughs) That is all you, and maybe you just need to go take a minute. I don't have to carry that with you. I don't have to be angry and frustrated right now because my day was actually great. But to acknowledge, I don't have to be a carrier of other people's emotions. Right. I'm only called to carry mine, and I can pray for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of the last one that, uh, or yeah, yeah you do that. Yeah, so I think so many times um, in relationships, we have misunderstanding. Can I get an amen? <laughs> like we can have, we can experience the same situation, Josh and I both, and as a mama, I carry mama things where things hurt me deeper than they hurt him, right? And it's easy to get frustrated because then I'm like, well, why don't you care about it? And I care, and it's better for us to understand one another and not get mad at the other's point of view. And so sometimes just asking, help me understand what you're feeling right now, especially if you don't feel it. Like, I'm not scared, but you're clearly very fearful. Help me understand. Sometimes those words can just unlock that understanding and compassion and empathy in those moments. Yep. And this is kind of in that same vein of just helping care for each other's emotions is collective prayer of surrender. So here's what I mean by that. Let's say that she's struggling with fear or something like that. My prayer is not going to be, Lord, help Lisa who's afraid. That just kind of degrades her in the process, right? It's actually, I, I turn it into a collective prayer where I say, Lord, help us not to be fearful. So I make it a we thing because we are one. And so I pray a collective prayer. Even she might be carrying it a little bit more, but I always pray we. Lord, help, help us mm-hmm. too. Um, so that collective prayer. Of yeah, I think the Bible talks about bearing each other's burdens too. Mm-hmm. You know, and so to be able to lift up, hold up the arms of the other one when they're weak is a beautiful thing in a marriage relationship. Yep. Final thing, uh, give one compliment, super simple, one compliment, one statement of appreciation or display of affection daily. Just, just do that. Do one compliment. You look beautiful. Uh, a, a, a statement of appreciation. Man, that was an amazing uh, meal. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for doing the homework with the kids. Whatever it is, just just say it. You yeah. had made a comment that I thought I was so good. I watched an interview with Brandon Lake, who is a musician, and he said, he goes, I want to become a man that gets better at, if I see it, I say it. That basically, so many times in our heads, we think, wow, that was so nice, or oh, she looks great, or he looks super handsome, and we think it, but we don't speak it. And so you can go your whole life thinking your husband's wonderful, but if you don't say it, he won't know it. Because mm-hmm. the enemy speaks loud, doesn't he? And as women too. Like, all I, he, if he just tells me that I'm beautiful, that's sometimes all I need, and I'll carry that all day long. And then what the enemy throws at me all day doesn't stick. Mm. So see it. If you see it, just say it. Just yep. say it. Yep. All right. We're going to close here in prayer. Thanks for uh, uh, sticking with us a little bit longer today. Um, how do you want to close?
All right, just pray. Here we go. Let me pray for all of us here. Jesus, I thank you so much. Thank you for uh, what you spoke in at the Sermon on the Mount, how you raised the bar in, re- in regards to our commitment within the relationship in this beautiful thing called marriage. Lord, I do pray over couples right now and those who are struggling, maybe it's through unkind words or just how to, they, they might feel like the three quarters of people who are going, I don't know what I signed up for. <laughs> and I'm just a little confused in this. And so Lord, I pray that you would just help each and every person here to take a simple yet uh, profound step towards you ultimately that that would be our first step in prayer toward you diving into scripture to grow in our walk with you so that we can become the best person for our spouse and for our families and then lord i pray for protection over marriages over hearts and minds here over those who feel like they're at the end of their rope i pray lord that they would um, double down right now in the commitment that they've made that their yes would be yes And, um, Lord, that you would release a grace upon them now to take a step forward um, to heal perhaps what's broken or what's wounded. And uh, we know with your grace, you can make our marriages healthier than ever. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. If you need prayer, our prayer partners will be right up here at the front. If you want to give, you can give in boxes on the back or online. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.